The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. You know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. I think you all know that I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It wouldn't be so funny if uh, the guy before, I forget his name, but he's the education secretary, the education secretary just butchering the Reagan quote. <laughs> the terrifying part is that when the government shows up, you know, you know it's about to explode. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this show at our own website, trumpetdaily.com, or you can go over to the Rumble channel, which is where our biggest live audience is. Just go to rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily, and you can join in on the live chat. You can leave comments, and you can leave us the Rumble thumbs up. I think you have to have an account set up to give us the thumbs up. So uh, if you don't have that, it's probably not going to work out so well to show your support. But if you do have an account, please do give us that uh, rumble thumbs up and uh, up our ratings over at uh, Rumble. This story from Real Clear Investigations, I mean, it perfectly illustrates just how broken the federal government is here in the United States. And, and we're not alone, as you'll see. I'll get into it in just a moment. But I think it was Steve Bannon recently who said we're, we're adding like a trillion dollars to the federal debt every 100 days, or at least it's since the last time we, we surpassed 33 trillion. We're about, by his projection, we're about 100 days from adding another trillion. And this is going on every year. <laughs> and the spending never does slow down. Look at this from Real Clear. It says here, a significant but unknown number of public schools across the US, particularly in big cities, have lost so many students in the last half decade. So just the last five years, just basically the COVID era in the last half decade that many of their classrooms sit empty. Gone is the loud clatter of students bursting through crowded hallways and slamming lockers. They're like ghost towns. The schools have emptied out. It says here, the harm from these half-empty schools is inflicted directly on all students in a district without enough per-pupil state funding to cover their costs they require financial subsidies to remain open. So there's no students, but thanks to the federal government, the schools remain open. Just keep the funding alive. Keep sending in the billions. That has been the approach of the federal government for decades and decades and decades. It says here, 
Many hollowed out districts have temporarily sidestepped the tempest of shutting schools because Congress, there you go, it's controlled by Republicans now, at least the House, Congress provided them with a historic windfall of pandemic-related funding and wide latitude in spending it. So the federal government just keeps right on spending. That's how they can get up in front of the cameras and say, hey, the economy's growing. No, no, you're just printing trillions and trillions of dollars and pouring it into programs like this, where the funding should be cut if there's no students. But nobody thinks that way in Washington. In fact, just going back to Ronald Reagan, if you guys got that clip, listen to what he said about government programs. No government ever voluntarily reduces itself in size. So government programs, once launched, never disappear. Actually, a government bureau is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. I suppose the education secretary today would butcher that one as well. It's the nearest thing to eternal life that we'll see in this world today. Once they, once they establish a government program, they never, never, never roll it back. That's why we're going the way of Rome. That's why the Israelite nations of today are on an unsustainable path. They know, the, the, the enemies of America know that the crash is coming. And just like Herbert Armstrong says, the higher up we go, and we were the single greatest superpower in the history of the world. But the higher up you go, like Mr. Armstrong says, the harder the fall, the harder the crash. Make sure you order this cop or this book if you haven't already. You can get it at thetrumpet.com or by calling the 800 number there, you can see it the lower third. So the government to the rescue. The government... Uh, is rescuing these empty schools. It says, but the $190 billion lifeline called the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund ends next, ends next September. So school leaders are facing mounting pressure to shrink their oversized districts, setting up the next battleground over public schools. So you can expect a fight in Washington. We've got to continue the funding. I mean, if we give them $190 billion, we can't reduce it. I mean, this is a program that stays there forever. Even if the schools are empty, that's how it works. It says, with, uh, f- with aid flowing during the pandemic, districts shut an average of 810 schools a year in 2021 and 22. Well, it gives a few more stats and, uh, and figures. You talk about backbreaking financial programs. This is, this is from uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville. He was on uh, Fox Business earlier this week talking about how much money the United States government is, is putting toward immigration, illegal immigration, hundreds of billions of dollars. Clip six. Oh, the money that we're spending in this country just on the border, $500 billion, Larry. President Trump wanted $20 billion to build a wall. We spent $500 billion in the last three years on immigration in this country. What a disaster. The American people deserve better. And I don't know whether we can overcome what's going on at the border. I don't know whether we can overcome what he's done to our foreign relations all over the world. It is a complete disaster. He's not done one thing that has helped the American people or this country. Look at what he's doing to the border. And this is all Barack Hussein Obama. It's just a disaster. Tuberville says there, Trump wanted $20 billion to just build a wall, to just, to just lay down some, 
some border security, and most Americans wanted that, but not Obama. Look at how they fought against Donald Trump. Republicans as well, not just Democrats. They they didn't want to give him any money for the wall for border security. And so, as it happens, it's been wide open since the fake president was installed. And Tuberville says it's cost us a half a trillion dollars to go toward what? Security? No, no. To just give government handouts to illegal aliens. Not supposed to call them that, but that's what they are. They're coming into the country illegally on your dime, the taxpayer's dime. How much longer does this continue? I mean, it's a total disaster, except, except if you're looking at it from the standpoint of Barack Hussein Obama. This is a massive victory. Just keep, keep printing the trillions. Leave the border wide open. If they come across by the millions, give them free housing, give them free health care, give them free transportation, give them free everything. This is from the New York Post. The story is actually a couple weeks old. It says here, Americans could pay up to $451 billion to care for migrants who entered the U.S. illegally, but have been released into the country or escaped from custody. Every day, millions of American taxpayer dollars are spent on costs directly associated with illegal immigration and the unprecedented crisis at the southern border. The Post says here, Only a small fraction is ever recouped from the taxes paid by illegal aliens. They come in, you see, they don't don't contribute to society. So many of them don't want to work because they're getting free handouts that they didn't get in their home country. They come to the the United States and they get everything and, and then some. Everything they need and then some. Some of them complain. They're staying in four star hotels and they say, hey, this isn't good enough for us. It says here, Compiled from the federal and state records, media reports, and other public information, the 50-page document outlines the taxpayer costs incurred in medical care, housing, education. We've got to pay for the illegals to be educated, right? And other welfare benefits for tens of millions of migrants. They come in and we say, hey, hey, we're from the government. We'll help you. We won't help our own citizens, but we'll surely help you get established in this, in this new nation of yours? It says here, the bill for government care and housing could total as much as $451 billion per year. Tuberville suggested it, it's been that for the past three years. The New York Post says this is, this is every year now. This is a half a trillion dollars we're talking about. If this is accurate, if these numbers are accurate, this makes this the seventh highest funding that the U.S. government is providing. Illegal aliens. And what's at the top of the list? Oh, well, the interest on the debt. This is nation. These are nation-destroying figures we're talking about here. How hard is the coming economic crash for the United States? The final paragraph here, it says, between 16.8 million and 29 million illegal immigrants currently reside in the United States. Think about that. Nearly 29 million illegals are currently living in the U.S. That's, that's almost half the size of the U.K. 
and we're, welcome, we're welcoming in another, what, three, four million a year? 16.8 million to 29 million. This is die by suicide, as Abraham Lincoln said. Death by a thousand cuts. You can enter into the United States illegally and be given many, many, many more benefits than Americans can get from the system. (laughs) Taxpayers are paying into this and getting very little in return, except higher taxes. These people come in and get freebies, top to bottom, all over the place. I mean, that's the that's the bone-crushing reality with respect to the economic side of the story. What about just the human side of it? 29 million illegals? This is fundamental transformation. This is what it looks like. Barack Obama, he vowed to fundamentally transform the United States and we're watching it happen. Listen to Laura Ingram from, from her show last night, Clip 7. The Biden administration is working hard and as fast as they can to change the United States and they're going to try to do it before the next election. It's all necessary collateral damage for the White House to get to their big goal, which is creating an America that won't know our history, where our kids are going to be taught to hate the history and also to learn that they're just victims of oppression in a society run by people with white privilege. Unfortunately, that's what the migrants are going to be taught if they're going to public school. So this is Biden's America. And if you're as horrified as I am in watching all of this, do everything you can to defeat the people in charge right now so we can actually save this country. Well, what are you getting at by saying defeat the people in charge? Defeat them with, uh, with Donald Trump? Are you going to get behind Trump 100%? Fox, by the way, Fox and Fox Business, quite a few more discussion points having to do with Donald Trump. I wonder if their ratings, if they're really feeling it in the ratings, and they've got to come back to the bad orange man to finally boost the numbers a bit. She says this is Biden's America. It's actually Obama's America. The, the, uh, the cover that we played or showed you yesterday, what was the, I forget the publication, Barack Obama, yeah, he's lounging at the beach surrounded by death and devastation. And the headline, the Washington Examiner, I think it was, the headline, it's his fault. This is Obama's fundamental transformation. There's your headline. There's the cover. It's his fault. Yes, indeed. This is Obama's America. And that's why people are turning to Donald Trump in droves. I'll get to that uh, in just a bit. First from Melanie Phillips. Because it's, it's not a problem limited to the United States. Phillips says here, in Britain and Europe, what's been denounced as far right turns out to be mainstream. The massive, she says, the massive, the massive and uncontrolled rate of immigration into the UK through both legal and irregular routes is the most important issue for most British people, surpassing even the cost of living. People of Britain, are they're furious. Tens of thousands just coming in. Hundreds of thousands every year. And that's a small little country. Compare it to, just comparing it to the United States. 
numbers-wise. Legal. This, she says here, this is legal migration, not the ones that are coming across the English Channel on these rickety rafts or little boats. It says here, legal migration totals have now hit an eye-watering high. Provisional figures from the Office of National Statistics show that in the year ending last June, 672,000 more people came into the country than left it. And so Britain's being overrun by migrants as well. And you can see it. You can see it when, when they take to the streets, mostly Muslims, in support of Hamas in London. She says here, this is a staggering rise from the net migration rate of 212,000 a decade ago. Just a decade ago, ago, just 10 years ago, 212,000, now 672,000. It's tripled. It says, if this rate continues by the year 2046, the UK's population will increase from approximately 67 million today to about 85 million, adding a population the size of Birmingham every few years. Every few years you add Birmingham to the UK. Birmingham's the second biggest city in the UK. What are we adding in the United States every year? Forget about every few years. We're we're adding a large city every single year. I mentioned uh, Conor McGregor, the uh, retired fighter. Um, He uh, He's basically holding his ground. He's made himself a target. He's coming under investigation from the woke government in Ireland because of what he said about these Islamist attacks. He said some things here recently about the illegal immigration on his island. It says here, PJ Media, champion Irish professional boxer and mixed martial artist, McGregor is completely fed up with the woke Irish government busing and housing endless illegal migrants, announcing on Twitter, we are at war. We're at war, he says. They're trying to destroy our our country. Ireland has, what, just four or five million people total? And yet they're just busing in the migrants, one after another after another. And one of them recently stabbed a bunch of people. And the, the media over there downplayed it. Because, hey, we've, we've got to have wide open borders. It says here, according to Human Events, Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, Michael Martin, accused McGregor of, essentially, McGregor of essentially inciting hate. Hate speech. If you come out against the establishment, then uh, you're guilty of hate. And we've got to go after you. Listen to this tweet. This is from McGregor. He says, have you ever seen the likes of this? This, in my opinion, is a crime against the fabric of Irish society. Sacred residents, scared, sorry, scared residents of a community watch on helplessly, yet still peacefully, as multiple busloads of people are ushered into their community in blacked out buses in the dead of the night. It's just like they were doing with Joe Obama a year or two ago, just flying them all across the country in the middle of the night. And then the subsidies, all the financial subsidies to go with it, settling into a community near you. No problemo. Single males from Venezuela or wherever. 
It says here, it's hard enough to secure your own base in Ireland as it is, to think of people who have worked so hard and saved up to secure a home and a community to raise their children, and then out of nowhere, without warning, multiple busloads of people, and from the footage, of, and from the footage, all adult males are sworn in. All young men. What is happening in Ireland, in the UK, in the United States? Well, Canada too. Someone told me three-fourths of Canadians, they want Trudeau to get out. People, people see that their country, their nation is dying, whether it's here in the United States or Ireland, the UK. We've talked about this next year, 2024, what an explosive year it's going to be, certainly for, for Americans in the U.S., so all these adult males coming in, in silence it says, this is not for the good of Ireland. Who wants to experience this feeling? There, are, there is zero transparency throughout this entire procedure. People of the community are not told who these men are or why they're here. This is what I mean when I say we are at war. You cannot expect the people of Ireland to tolerate this. We will not. I mean, the world is about to explode. There was an Issues and Insights poll just uh, on the subject of a divided nation here in the States. And it's pretty well evenly divided. And, and more and more Americans acknowledge that that, that that rival, or rather that divide, is bitter. This is bitter affliction we're talking about. Bitter affliction, and only a few people have the courage to stand against it. Here in the States, of course, it's it's uh, led by Donald Trump, who sees that the country is dying. And this is why he receives such widespread uh, support. And you see it in poll after poll after poll. Of course, they're going to do what they can to cheat the communist left. They've become quite good at cheating in elections. And you're seeing a lot of stories, by the way, local stories about cheating that goes on, about machines that malfunction. Couldn't talk about that for a while. Couldn't talk about that for many months after 2020. But now, I mean, now even the Associated Press is getting in on it. Yeah, acknowledging this uh, election down in, uh, down in Louisiana. I think it was for a, a sheriff or somebody. A small election. But the machines, they're not reliable. You can't, you can't rely on the machines. In any event, the poll, the polling for Donald Trump, it just keeps going higher and higher. Even as Chris Christie says, hey, I think I'm surging. I'm in it for the long haul. Listen to this from Fox Business, clip nine. You, all you need to show, you don't need to show the poll numbers, you need to show the reaction to that Clemson game. That's not a normal politician getting that kind of reaction from <laughs> sports fans. So it just goes to he's a political and cultural phenomenon. How do you run against that? The establishment and donor class has a deep-seated animosity toward Donald Trump. They don't like his style. They don't like his uh, success before politics. They also don't like the fact that they can't control him as well. They don't like the fact that they can't control him. Before that, I think that was Rich Lowry, he, uh, he said that Trump's a political and cultural phenomenon. How do you run against that? Well, if the communist left had its way, I mean, they wouldn't run against him at all. They would destroy him before we ever got to the election. 
and they're hard at work doing just that with the indictments, with the attacks, with the spying, with the impeachments. ABC News. They've all got the big reveal, these rhino Republicans, Liz Cheney with her book coming out, CNN so excited to go through the pages to see what she, to see the insider information that she has on all things Trump. Everything centers on Donald Trump, the bad orange man. This is from ABC. It says, speaking with special counsel Jack Smith's team earlier this year, former Vice President Mike Pence offered harrowing details about how in the wake of the 2020 presidential election, then-President Donald Trump surrounded himself with crank attorneys, espoused un-American legal theories, and almost pushed the country toward a constitutional crisis. He almost did that. It didn't quite happen. But he was surrounded by cranks. So says Mike Pence. So I guess we're to believe it. it says the sources said Pence also told investigators he's, he's sure that in the days before January 6th, when a violent mob tried to stop Congress from certifying the election, he informed Trump he still hadn't seen evidence of significant election fraud. But Trump was unmoved, continuing to claim the election was stolen and acting recklessly on that tragic day. What a big reveal. So Pence said it wasn't stolen and Trump said it was. Wow, I didn't know that. No, I think we did know that. Pence didn't act, didn't have the courage to act. So he he comes along and just starts revising the history. He talked, wasn't it just a few days before January 6th, saying that, hey, we're going to look at, now you see they frame it that they were trying to prevent the certification. They were trying to get the fraud exposed. They were trying to investigate the fraud. That's what the protesters wanted. The radical left, though, needed, they needed some violence to make it look like an insurrection. It wasn't even a a, a tiny fraction of what happened just months earlier during the Summer of Love. All the death and destruction and carnage and fire and burning and looting. That we just got used to that. Went on for like two, three months. Chilling details, we're supposed to believe. Liz Cheney's book, same thing. She says that uh, Trump was depressed and he wasn't eating after the election steal. He, uh, Jake Tapper had a good laugh over that one. Ah, this is a man of appetites. That's surprising that uh, he didn't eat. Funny, funny, ha-ha. And then listen to Tapper react to, I think it was a Republican congressman who said something about Donald Trump. Again, this all is in that transition period when they stole the election. Trump and his team of attorneys were trying to contest that in court. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Trying to contest it. And then, of course, it led up to the fake insurrection. Listen to clip three. But uh, Congressman Mark Green, I kind of just thought he was a true believer, but he called Trump the orange Jesus, according to Liz Cheney. That's surprising to me. Wow. Fascinating details. I can give you a longer version of the discussion about the orange Jesus, I guess someone called him. That's breaking news. That's Liz Cheney. What is Liz Cheney going to do to try to stop him? Well, she might even run for president. 
These people on the round table at CNN, they say that Cheney basically, she, uh, she sacrificed her career to do the right thing. Well, what do you mean by that? If she's doing the right thing and CNN's got, got her back and, and, and it's so popular, 81 million votes for the fake president. Seems like her career would have really taken off. Considering the stance that she's taken in opposition to Trump. No, actually the ones that oppose Trump, they end up losing their jobs. They end up being voted out by a landslide. In the case of Cheney, that's what happened in Wyoming. But she's still there assisting or contributing to CNN. She's there writing the tell-all book. She's there giving, in the case of Mike Pence, fully cooperating with Jack Smith and his bogus investigation. They've got to try to destroy Trump. He's dangerous for democracy. They don't want him to get anywhere near the election next November. They see, they see people turning to him in droves. They see it in the polling over blacks, Latinos, and now young people. Listen to this from Fox News, clip eight. So new data suggesting President Biden could have a serious problem with young voters next year. Look at this recent NBC News poll finding Biden trailing Trump 42 to 46 among voters 18 to 34, an almost always dependable voting block for Democrats. The New York Times says this trend should be taken seriously, quote, the problem for Mr. Biden isn't too few young Democrats, is that many young Democrats don't like him. Chuck Todd, he used to be on, uh, I think it was Meet the Press. He's evidently touring the country now, visiting a lot of college campuses, speaking to their, their uh, journalism schools. He wrote at NBC, in the most recent NBC News poll, a whopping 76% of voters said they do not feel confident that life for our children's generation will be better than it has been for us. You just see all these videos on TikTok or Twitter. These uh, parents saying, look, I, I was told by my parents that if you work hard, you do it the right way, you can rise up the ladder of the middle class. You can own your own home. You can have a little cash on the side. You can go on a, a vacation every August. As it is, both me and my husband work and we're living paycheck to paycheck. We're having to go into savings. We're having to put it on the credit card just to survive. So what does that mean for our children? It says here, up until the turn of the century, assuming the next generation would have, would have it better and easier, was a given in America. In many ways, this core belief that our children will be better off than us is the foundation of what many describe as the American dream. This is Chuck Todd. <laughs> He's a rabid anti-Trumper, for sure. Since Obama's 2008 election, success with voters under 40 has been a key ingredient to Democrats having good election nights. Independents and younger voters preferred a generic uh, Democrat over Trump, they preferred a generic Republican over Biden, and most consequentially, they preferred the former incumbent in Trump over the current president in Biden. This is young people preferring Trump. And he saw it like the guy mentioned in that clip in the, the Clemson game in South Carolina. How many, how many people at that stadium or for that game were just college students and they're erupting in applause for the bad orange man? 
Chuck Todd sees this in his tour across the country. He says, I've spent quite a, quite a bit of time in various, on various college campuses, both in journalism schools and in their football facilities. It says, the pessimism of today's youth is palpable. Zoom out further and ask yourself whether either millennials who came of age in the wake of 9-11 and later the Great Recession or Gen Z who are coming of age during the Trump era can truly see and believe that the arc of history is bending in a positive direction. The last 20 years haven't been good ones for the country. And then Chuck Todd says the bottom line is uh, Trump can win. Trump can, this is what they fear the most. This is what Liz Cheney fears. Mike Pence, at least he stepped down or bowed out of the race. Not, not Chris Christie. He's got to stay in there to get Trump. One of our news gatherers up in uh, Toronto, he emailed this morning and just said, following on the skyrocketing costs for housing in, uh, in the United States, he said it's horrible here in Canada, particularly around Toronto. There's a house right behind where he lives. It's got a two-car garage, one bedroom with a kitchen slash living room. And the asking price for rent, $2,600 per month. $2,600. He says Toronto is now more expensive than London for housing. So what are young people thinking when they graduate college to go and get a place that small and to pay that kind of rent? They're turning to Trump. They're turning to Trump. Donald Trump, he had an op-ed for Newsweek, how the radical left is waging war on young people. Young people. Newsweek. Trump says, instead of uh, helping our young people confidently begin their lives, careers, and families, Joe Biden is crushing their dreams with debt, taxes, and inflation, and paving the way for a future of anger and despair. This is all Obama's doing. This is what Obama wants. They don't care about young people. They don't care about blacks, as you heard from the clip I played yesterday from that that BLM co-founder in Rhode Island. People are beginning to see it. Look, you're not, you're not, as I played in the one clip earlier, you're not doing one thing to help the country. They're actively working to destroy it. $450 billion to accommodate illegal alien activity for for the last two and a half years. That's a half a trillion dollars. They're trying to remake the country, as Laura Ingram said. Fundamental transformation. Donald Trump says, under Joe Biden, we are a nation in decline and rapidly losing the American dream. But Biden's destruction of the American economy is just the beginning of his war on young people. See, Conor McGregor has it right. Donald Trump has it right. They are engaged in war. America is under attack. If you don't have this book, call the 800 number. (laughs) It really lays everything out for you. And you can understand why these events are happening. What is God's perspective? That's what we want. God, God says in his holy book that in these last days, the nations of Israel, that would be the United States, that would be Great Britain, says the stranger is going to rise up among you. It's going to turn right on its head. Times of the Gentiles. 
That's what your Bible prophesies. And we're seeing it happen. It says here, the radical left has also unleashed shocking waves of violent crime and bloodshed, making our nation's once great cities almost unlivable for young Americans and entering the workforce. Joe Biden's unimaginable weakness on the world stage is threatening to drag the United States into World War III, which would devastate an entire generation of young Americans. And the Democrats' radical promotion of criminal race theory, transgenderism, and other inappropriate racial, sexual, and political content in our schools has divided our communities and frayed the bonds of national unity. This is Donald Trump. You know, it's interesting. Newsweek, I know they closed up shop with the, the print edition, but they're still online. They have an online presence. They've been, you know, pretty much left wing their entire life, I guess. But it's just given what they did to Donald Trump following the fake insurrection. What was it? Michelle Obama, she was out there calling social media sites, calling big tech, calling Silicon Valley, saying, hey, you need to blot him out. You need to cancel his Twitter feed. And they did. They silenced him. Now he's got an op-ed in the Newsweek, the, the Newsweek website. Fox News is beginning to invite him back. He's at least part of the discussion now. Laura Ingram's talking about, hey, we've got to bring down the current administration. I think more and more, I don't know, this is just me kind of reading into the stacks of things that we go through each day. But I think more and more people, even that were sort of in the middle, that didn't like Trump because of all the mean tweets and everything else, kind of siding more with the rhino view, Liz Cheney, you know, that crowd. I think more and more of them are beginning to say, if we're going to save this country, I'm only really seeing one option. Of course, we know, as God's people, we know that this is God's doing, what he says in 2 Kings 14. It's God by the hand of Jeroboam. He does work through human instruments. But as I say, we want to make sure we're seeing God's perspective. This book, America Under Attack, will help you do that. A little bit more from Donald Trump. It says, when I take the oath of office... As the 47th president of the United States, I will rapidly rebuild the greatest economy in the history of the world so that young people can thrive and prosper. Newsweek said, hey, go ahead. We'll give you a, an op-ed for our publication. And Donald Trump <laughs> writing to young people, making some pretty good sense. Making sense to a lot of young people. So say the polls. He says, I will also restore law and order in our nation's cities, empower our men and women in law enforcement, and stop the radical Marxist prosecutors surrendering our cities to violent criminals. I will quickly secure our southern border to end the influx of deadly drugs into our communities. I will work to eradicate and scourge the drug addiction once and for all. And to further protect our young people, I will sign new executive, a new executive order to cut federal funding for any school pushing far-left content on our children. You would think you'd be hearing that from any administration. There was a time when that sort of thing would be, that, that would be the agenda of a presidential administration, whether Republican or Democrat, but not so today. Not in the era of America being attacked from within. 
When we come back, we'll conclude today's show with our Bible study segment. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. Freedom is one of the most sought-after ideals in human history. Man's search for freedom has taken him into the fiercest of protests, struggles, revolutions, civil wars, and even world wars. Today, in the midst of free societies, many continue to fight for what they perceive as ever greater freedoms. And yet, many of these same people are actively fighting against law. Few people understand that this war against law actually undermines true freedom. To learn more, request Gerald Flurry's booklet, No Freedom Without Law. In this free booklet, you will see what the Bible says about the latter-day spirit of rebellion and lawlessness that is now so common in our nations today. Also request America Under Attack. In this booklet, you will learn more about the spirit behind this attack on law. You'll see where this is leading. Both booklets are offered freely at no cost or obligation to you. Request No Freedom Without Law and America Under Attack. Email your request to td at kpcg.fm or visit thetrumpet.com. On Monday's show, we talked about how that people misunderstand Bible prophecy because uh, they've never understood the truth about the gospel message that Jesus preached. The gospel, the, the gospel of the soon coming kingdom of God to be established on this earth. This morning in class, we were going through the, the beginning verses of the gospel of Mark. And uh, verse 1 Right off the bat, it talks about the gospel that Jesus preached. And if you look at, I won't take the time to turn over there, but in the King James, the King James has it right. The King James was, was put together back in the early 1600s. But then you look at the more modern translations, the NIV and others that say the gospel about Christ. I mean, that's the first verse and they get it wrong from the outset. It's like Mr. Armstrong said, all, the, all the, uh, the things that you see in the world, everything that's wrong with the world, it all goes back to a false, basic premise. If it starts on the wrong foundation, I mean, the whole structure is going to be flawed. The devil wanted the focus to be on Jesus. And as I said the other day, even that <laughs> they get wrong, terribly wrong. God wants our focus to be on the message. What was the message that Christ proclaimed? This is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. I think on Monday we just hit the high spots of Ephesians chapter 1. And really, if you go right through this uh, entire book, the book of Ephesians, it, it tells you everything that you need to know about the true gospel message and what God is working out here below. Even, not to get too far off my main point here, but in class this morning I was talking about what's commonly believed in the world of traditional Christianity, that there's this tug-of-war contest going on between God and the devil, trying to save as many souls, God, God is, supposedly, before it's too late. 
But in this, like Mr. Armstrong said in the beginning of Mystery of the Ages, if that, if that were true, this so-called tug-of-war struggle, well, <laughs> Satan's winning. Look at the world. Look at the world around you. Look at the division. Look at the, the religious divide in every sector of society. Look at the violence. Look at the crime. Look at the evil. Look at the filth. You think God is God winning in some kind of a tug of war struggle with the devil? The truth of your Bible is that human civilization started on the wrong premise. And you can read about it in Genesis 3. And God said, All right, Adam, you've made your decision. But I'm going to cut you off, and human civilization that comes out from you, I'm going to cut you off from the tree of life. The tree that represented the Spirit of God. And so for 6,000 years, God has essentially had a, a hands-off policy. Now, he obviously does intervene where necessary to carry out his prophecies as he's stated them thousands of years in advance. The, the Bible is sure. We can rely on the sure word of Bible prophecy. But just in a general sense, God has allowed human civilization to go its own way, to establish its own institutions of commerce and industry and economy and education, religion even. Except for a, a select few, select not because they're any better than those they live next door to, but because God is preparing a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. He is preparing teachers that are, that, that are going to be given power over the nations, as Revelation 2 says. Once that kingdom of God is set up and established on this earth, headed up by Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. I mean, all of that, in essence, is what Jesus came into Galilee preaching. The good news. That's what gospel means. The good news of the soon coming kingdom of God, which is the family of God, administering the government of God over all the earth. One world government. That is coming. I mean, the wokesters are trying to set it up today with a, with a communist ideology. God is about to establish his government on this earth. And every nation will be submitting to that government in the end. And then come to find out what it's like to live under a benevolent administration that actually puts in place policies that help and benefit the subjects of that kingdom, the citizens, quite unlike the many governments that we see today. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse 19. It says, Now therefore you are no more strangers uh, and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What does Paul mean by that? The house the household of God. Who occupies a household? Well, that would be a family. A family, as God designed it from the very beginning when he instituted marriage. That's back in Genesis 2. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5. says this is a great mystery, man and wife, husband and wife. But I'm speaking, I'm speaking with respect to Christ and the church. 
A household is occupied by a family, a God-ordained family, father, wife, mother, children. Thayer says this about the word household, belonging to a house or family, domestic, intimate, belonging to one's household, related by blood, kindred. That's what Paul's talking about here. Under the inspiration of the Almighty, Verse 20 says, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This is a family that's built on a rock-solid foundation of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and also the prophets of old, and the apostles of the first century, and the saints, the first fruits, those being prepared to marry the Son of God, to marry Jesus Christ. We won't have time to get into chapter 5, but it's there, plainly. It's in Revelation 19. It's so obvious. Father, Son, uh, Christ, the bride, children, marriage. It's all through the Bible. Chapter 3 in Ephesians, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace... Of God, which is given to me, you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. God revealed this mystery of the ages to the Apostle Paul. The mystery hidden from ages, you can read about that in Colossians 1 as well. Mr. Armstrong's final book, it went by the title Mystery of the Ages. Where do you suppose he got that kind of language? Mystery. It's a great mystery to this world. And yet, to those whose minds have been opened to the truth, who have been called out of this world. John 6, verse 44. Read it. Read it. The the churches of this world believe that anyone and everyone can come right on in. It's a revolving door. God, God says that He has to perform a miracle just to open our minds to the truth and to bring us to Jesus Christ. It's right there in John 6, 44. It's a memory verse. (laughs) Herbert Armstrong probably went to that verse more than any other verse in the Bible because it exposes just how deceived so many are with respect to coming to Christ. Now we have to respond to that call. We have a part in it. But unless God does something miraculous... We just can't understand the truth of God, not until our minds are open to it. And, and the minds of all of mankind will be open to it in the wonderful world of tomorrow and beyond. Finally, the veil will be lifted and, and people as a society, we won't be groping in the darkness anymore. Verse 4, it says, Whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See, it has to be revealed. It's revealed by God's Spirit. Verse 6 says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister to preach, to preach the truth, to go even to the the Gentiles. God's no respecter of persons. He's a respecter of faith. If they'll respond to the call, then so much the better. 
God does need a certain amount of people, numbers, to support the work in this end time. Mr. Armstrong said that was one of the, the main reasons there were so many in the Worldwide Church of God, God back in the day because Mr. Armstrong had to go right around the world with that gospel message, Matthew 24, 14, and he couldn't do it by himself as he plainly stated so many times during his ministry. He needed the enthusiastic support of the brethren of God and even beyond that, co-workers and donors. In any event, skipping down, I just want to get to the the, the middle part of this, this chapter, verse 10 says, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, this is talking about the angelic realm and how that they want to peer into this plan of God as it unfolds, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice verse 14, Paul says, for this cause, this purpose, this mystery, that has been revealed. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son. Verse 15 says, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If you're just joining this program for the first time, <laughs> you're probably one who's never heard a preacher tell you that God is a family. I just read it to you. Ephesians 3 and verse 15, the whole family in heaven. Yes, indeed, a family, a household headed up by God the Father. It's a marvelous truth. For more, <laughs> request mystery of the ages. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email us, td at thetrumpet.com. My Twitter handle, at Stephen Flurry. Thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow.